just <laughs> look like you're about to sneeze all the time. I feel like I'm about to sneeze all the time. Okay. That's my cross to bear. Well, we all got one. I'm already in podcast mode. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship <laughs> Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yeah. You say you're already in podcast <clears throat> mode. What does that what does that mean? As to soon you? as you hit record, before you even say hello, you and I were having a conversation. I don't know if it's still on the episode or not. We'll decide I'll that see later. It. Yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> But it was just a normal conversation, but I found myself talking not quite like myself, but like podcast David. You do go, yeah, I, I've, I've found, uh, when you do this for, I mean, we've been doing this for two and a half years, David, isn't yeah, that crazy? Yeah, 140 episodes. One hun- indeed, yes, 140 Plus, uh, episodes. you know, a bunch of, you know, supplemental, what, 13 supplemental episodes? That's correct, yes. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I do find, much like when I would work at, uh, at Blockbuster, and I needed to make a sale or something like that, I would go into a voice that was definitely not my own, uh-huh. and, uh, and afterwards I would just feel kind of... Just dirty. It's like, ugh. <laughs> look at what have I done in order to make this ten dollar sale to get the boss off my ass? And what I did was I, uh, I died a little bit, and I'm just like, let me tell you about the Blockbuster Rewards membership. And I was like, oh, that's, that's awful. And so, what I'm saying are you a is good that, salesman? What was that? Are you a good salesman? I am actually a very good salesman. Really? Yeah, I was only ever good at selling things that I actually thought a person should buy. There is that, yes. Like uh, I, I, you know, I could talk someone into buying uh, an entire season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer on DVD, and I did on yeah. more than one occasion yeah. at the video stores because it's really good, and I was obviously really excited about it, and it got them yeah. to buy it. But I couldn't. I worked at a video store uh, where we had a thing like that, where had like like a you pay like this monthly card, you pay this much, you right. know, and you get. You save this much on rent, you know, rentals, you, and, and they were always trying to get us to, to push that, and I could, just couldn't do it. I was best at selling things that, as you say, I, I kind of believed in, like the rewards membership, which I don't recommend anymore because they raised the price. But um, it was like 10 bucks a year, and the amount, and if somebody came in like three times a month, no problem. I mean, you make your money back on the first month. And then after that, you just keep saving more money. So it was really no problem. I, I, I had no qualms about pushing it. Um, and I sold a lot. I was like a, I was like a record breaking salesman at the, uh, at the stores for uh, your branch uh, or for all of Blockbuster. I worked at three different stores and at every, at every store I, I always, uh, everyone's like, Oh wow. How do you sell so much? It's like, well, cause, uh, but what happened was when it came time to start selling the Blockbuster online, I believed in it to a point. Um, but you know, other people were better at selling it than I was, and I was like, "Well, I'll just stick with selling the Blockbuster rewards." So I would sell a solid fifteen to twenty of those a week. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Company didn't care because th- I'm supposed to be pushing this other thing. It's like, yeah, but I'm pushing something that will bring people back into the store. Isn't that enough? It turns out it wasn't, and uh, yeah, that's so why you that, say yeah. you say you broke records in sales. Oh, good God! Yes, <laughs> well, yes, it's, I did. Speaking of records being broken, Twilight New Moon. Twilight Saga: New Moon. Yeah, I think is the f- full official title. Title. It's it's shattering records left and right. Shattering them. Yeah, it it it, it uh, destroyed, decimated. In fact, the um, midnight screening record on Thursday night, previously held by uh, Harry Potter, I believe. Which one? Uh, the most the uh, Half Blood Prince. Um, and then uh, after that, it it. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of another word. It immolated. The Dark Knight's uh, One Day yeah. record. Yeah. Uh, what does this mean? What, what, do you, what do you think of it? Um, I don't like it. 
but at the same time, you know, uh, who cares? I don't really. I mean, I guess it'll, maybe it'll. I feel like it's the kind of movie that will do really great on its first day or in its first weekend, and then because that's when everybody wants to see it. Mm-hmm. And then I could see it just falling off, you know, with the next week. Um, I don't know what comes out uh, next week, but um, yeah, it's. I recently watched uh, the first Twilight movie uh, with uh, some friends, and um, it's pretty bad. Uh, there's no question about it. Uh, no matter how hard Carter Burwell is working, and he's working very hard and uh, putting out a really solid musical score, uh, that movie cannot really be saved. It has a couple of nice moments, um, uh, probably uh, attributable to um, uh, Catherine Hardwick. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, it's 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 not very good. Um, but at the same time, I just feel like you know, it's not very good, but it's pretty harmless. It's not like somehow I I feel like uh, tra- I, I'm I'm more discouraged by you know the Transformers movies making you know setting records and and stuff like that. I don't know why. Um, Here's why I think it is okay. Here's why I'm okay. I I, I don't know anything about Twilight. Or the franchise of the series. I don't want to pass judgment. I haven't read any of the books okay. or any of the movies. But, you know, I I hear that it's not really great. Both, both the books and the movies are, are not high art. That's right. what I've heard. Even if that's true, I feel like for a lot of young people and uh, young women as well, this is an entry point, it, not as well as young people, I mean in particular, young yeah. women in particular, um, this is an entry point into into the genre fiction, the mm-hmm. kind of thing that you can become nerdy about and devote your life to, and I right. not devote your entire life, but <laughs> unhealthy portions of to. Right. And I think that's great. I think it's almost like we're recruiting people. It's like it's like a it's like an entry level training wheels uh, for people who might eventually go on to discover, you know, Doctor Who or something yeah. else that that's as, that's all consuming and and tends to uh, churn out. Interesting people, <laughs> smart, interesting people. Now, David, I've I've never uh, read anything or, or watched any kind of Doctor Who. I hear it's uh, very good. No, that's just an example. I'm not actually. I don't, I don't know very much about Doctor Who. Oh, okay. At all. Okay. Um, yeah, I, 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 I know that uh, Richard E. Grant was a Doctor Who. Was like, he? Oh, okay. I like him. I like him. Yeah. And, and then uh, uh, wasn't Christopher Eccleston a Doctor Who? I don't know, but I know that uh, what's yeah, his name David Tennant who was in. Uh, yeah, uh, the fourth Harry Potter. Yeah, he was a Doctor Who. I think he might be the current Doctor Who. I'm not going to actually continue this line of discussion because I, I feel like I'll probably just be angering people by my general ignorance of it. But you're not dismissive dismissive of it. Oh no, not at all. I've watched a bit of Doctor of the of the I guess the David Tennant Doctor Who. Okay, I watched it mostly because Billy Piper was on it, and she is the star of uh, Secret Diary of a Call Girl, which is an awesome show that I watch on Showtime. <laughs> And she's a she's an alluring presence, <laughs> <laughs> an alluring presence. That's one way of of putting it. Um, yeah, now, now Richard E. Grant. Just okay, to get yeah. off topic for a second. All right. I finally recently finally saw With Nail and I. Okay. Which is awesome. All right. So great. I still have not seen it. Oh, I, I, uh, you're doing yourself a disservice, as have I been for years until okay. uh, about a week ago when I watched it. Okay. But um. I realized that I've seen Richard E. Grant in a lot of stuff. He's in Gossard Park. Yeah. Uh, he's other in, things as well. He's in other Altman stuff. Yeah. Um, L.A. Story. He was in L.A. Story. I never saw that. But um, I realized that before with Now and I, 
the role that I most associated him with was in Hudson Hawk, <laughs> where he and Sandra Bernhardt are like the co-bad guys. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, well, so, I guess it's time I'm to kind of glad up. that I've seen With Now and I to sort of purge that from my memory. Yeah, good, good for you. Um, yeah, it's like, yeah, I love that Michael Caine. He's great in... in uh, Muppet Christmas Carol, <laughs> um, which, by the way, he but, is good in Muppet, Muppet Christmas. But I mean, Carol, right? Hudson Hawk is such a—it's such an, an exaggerated film that everyone is sort of can't help but be memorable because they have to be turned up to eleven the entire movie. Yeah. You know, even if the movie is not great, it's a very memorable movie. <laughs> the way you defend Hudson Hawk, it really—it's—I would say it's actually kind of noble. <laughs> um, I don't really—I know it's a bad movie. Yeah, but I do love it. I know you do. And I'll tell you what, um, this takes us off of uh, Twilight a little bit. Sorry, everybody. But oh, we um, haven't been talking about Twilight for like 10 minutes That's now. true. <laughs> um, I uh, have been buying a lot of DVDs lately. and it's Yeah, I've noticed, actually. It's, yeah, I had to add a show. Yeah, you have a bit of a problem. I do have a bit of a problem, <laughs> actually. Um, but, uh, but I actually, I recently uh, just bought Clue. You had to add a shelf. I had to add a shelf. Do you yes. have these shelves in storage, or did you have to go buy more? We we bought more at IKEA. <laughs> Why are you laughing? You made a special trip to IKEA just for your DVD habit. No, we bought we we were going to buy these shelves here, which uh, contain my uh, wife's uh, photography uh, equipment and such. Mm-hmm. And while we were there, I said, "Hey, you know what? We might as well do while we're here is buy another shelf for my DVDs." Now, now did you get a whole bunch of them? No, I. Just That's what I would do if I were you. I'd get a, I'd get a bunch because they might stop manufacturing those. They absolutely can and will uh, stop manufacturing them. In fact, they did. If you look at the middle piece there, you'll notice on the top top shelf, I had to put two end pieces together because they no longer make the middle piece. How about that? Yeah. Sorry, everybody. Um, but anyway, so I recently uh, I recently bought Clue. All right. Clue the movie. Clue the movie. Yes. No. I have... starring starring leaving. <laughs> That's right. And calling camp. Um, <laughs> Now, uh, good, good for both of us, I <laughs> yeah. think, on that one. Uh, and so it's, I, I just, I rewatched it. Uh-huh. It's not very good. Really? It's, I haven't seen it in so long. Man, it's, uh, it has its moments, and there are certain aspects that's just like, yeah, uh, Madeline Kahn, still wonderful. Um, but, like, so many things that I thought were hilarious when I was a kid, and, it, you know, I was a kid. Right. But just little things like... Uh, he stepped in dog crap. Yeah. Yeah, I'm an adult, as were the people who made this film. <laughs> uh, and just, and it's so much, I don't know, I'm a, I'm not a big fan of slapstick in general, but there's a lot of slapstick in it, and it's just, I don't know, it's, it's not, it's not very good. That's and a shame. Uh, And it's kind of uneven in its tone, uh, which sounds strange, but there are moments when, like, if they had made a clue... You know, if they've made a, a Clue movie that was kind of like, well, kind of like Gosford Park, uh-huh. where it can still have the same feel as, you know, those old time whodunits while still being kind of amusing, then, you know, with like kind of a, a nod and a wink uh, to the audience and, and to the genre, um, I think it would have been great. But instead, they chose to go with this very different, uh, this very. Uh, I would venture to say perhaps inappropriate kind of tone. But then I realized, so right in the middle of this, I'm like, wow, this is really depressing me. I I loved this movie. Uh, And then I realized, 
this is based on a board game. <laughs> Granted, it could have, if it had gone, you know, the Gosford Park uh, route uh, starring uh, Richard E. Grant, um, then then it, they could have actually transcended uh, the where it started, you know, the inspiration. But uh, maybe that wasn't in their mind. Maybe they're like, hey, everyone, we're making a movie based on a board game. Let's just have fun with this. Uh, let's just yeah. all let's just do ridiculous things, and let's get a bunch of really funny people. That's true. I yes. mean, uh, yeah. Who's who's? I mean, Madeline, Madeline, uh, yeah, Madeline uh, Kahn and, and Christopher Martin, Lloyd, Martin Mull, and, Martin Mull, yeah, um, Michael McKean, Michael McKean. Oh yeah, he has my favorite line in the movie, which is, "I'm gonna go home and sleep with my wife." You mean the end? The end line, which vaguely. Vaguely smacks of homophobia <laughs> because his character <laughs> identifies himself as gay, and everybody like gives him this look, and it's like, hey, let's treat it. But then when it's established that he's the hero, I'm gonna go home and sleep with my wife. It's like that's right because a gay man could never be a hero. <laughs> um, but uh, I never thought about it like that. Yeah, I did because uh, I just watched it. But uh, but you but know, it does I, have the and he says when he's revealing that he's you know uh, undercover or whatever he's like yeah. I'm, a, I'm a plant i thought men like you were called fruits <laughs> right okay now that's amusing <laughs> that's a funny line but uh, uh know, anyway but you know who i like in that movie uh, is, tim curry uh, uh, yeah but uh, i i really like uh, i think it's pronounced eileen brennan oh, yeah. as mrs peacock yeah man oh man whatever happened to her uh, she's probably dead no she's still around <laughs> i saw her in uh, she was in jeepers creepers Really? As like a crazy cat lady who wields a shotgun and then gets killed pretty quick. She's in like one scene. But uh, it bums me out. You ruined it for me. Now I can't see Jeepers Creepers. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Sorry, everybody. Uh, Man, we... What movie do you think is better, is funnier? Clue the movie or Murder by Death? Hmm. I think... uh, I would say equal. Murder by Death, and I had to rewatch Clue, but I've seen Murder by Death more recently. As with The Cheap Detective. Yeah. Like... I like that I get what they're spoofing, right? But really, only like it's got like a, a a one joke out of eight that actually hits in both movies. Yeah, and I would say that that Murder by Death and the Private Detective are the Chief Detective. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, the Chief Detective. Thank you. Um, I would say that they are Neil Simon has a strange tendency towards surprisingly juvenile humor. Uh-huh. Um, now, I still laugh because I am a juvenile, but <laughs> in Murder by Death, Alec Guinness plays a blind butler. They get a lot of mileage out of him being blind. <laughs> now, admittedly, him opening the door and then shutting it by but thinking he shuts it, but he basically just opens it completely, uh, <laughs> and he thinks he's closing it. First off, it makes no sense because he just opened it. He has to know which way it closes. <laughs> but it is funny, but at the same time, just like, they're just making a joke about him being blind. <laughs> it, it doesn't bother me as far as like the offensive uh, element uh-huh. of it, you know, because just like you know, whatever. It's I don't think it's it's hateful of blind people, but at the same time, just like it's such an easy joke to make. But uh, yeah, I'd say I would I'd venture to say that they're about equal as far as funniness goes. All right. So th- I guess that's that's all we had to say about Twilight, everybody. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so speaking of whodunits, uh, secret window? <laughs> oh yeah, secret window. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, let's just get into it, shall we? This All is, right. uh, it's episode 140. It's, uh, divisible by 10. Uh, it's a multiple of 10. 
<laughs> it ends in zero. Indeed, yes. And and as as audiences know, audiences across the world uh, know that when an episode of Battleship Retention ends in zero, it's in our artist profile. I think our podcast is going to end in zero <laughs> listeners uh, sometime. Because, good Lord, that's... <laughs> Why must you always bring math into this? I thought I was done using the word divisible when I graduated. All right, anyway, so, David, go ahead. Can you continue? Um, so... As we might have let slip last week, we didn't know who, whom we were going to be profiling until until sort of last minute. Yeah. Because we were working on one, and whenever there's one that needs homework, you and I are kind of bad about that. That's we true. We weren't good students, I think, probably, in in high school. Uh, no, that's true. We were probably better in college because we were doing something that we liked. But, yeah. Uh, but we, uh, we're doing something we like now, though, David, is the thing. Yeah, that's right. But that was... I remember the saying when we started the podcast, I was like... I don't want to ever have to do homework for this podcast. That's that's the main reason that we're not a review-based podcast. That's no, true. the main reason is money, because I was super broke at the time we started this podcast. Right. Um, but the other reason was uh, that I wanted it to be a sort of like discussion on topics is because I could talk about whatever I've seen. Yeah. I don't have to see something specifically. Yeah. When we started doing these these profiles, it's be- there's be- there's been more and more homework, and uh, I've been bad about it lately, and yeah. thankfully, so have you. To some, to a le- not to the same extent, but no, I'd say that's about right. Um, <laughs> you know, and you can like anytime we we profile somebody who's a little better known, like a Sydney Lamette. Here's what you can probably bank on: we were planning on doing somebody more obscure. Kept putting off watching the person's movies, <laughs> and then a, then probably day of or maybe a couple days before, we both go. Damn, man, I haven't seen any of these. Uh, <laughs> let's just go with Sidney Lumet. I've seen a lot of his stuff. <laughs> right. And so uh, so here we are. Who are we profiling today, David? Uh, actor John Turturro. John Turturro. Yes. One of my favorite actors. Indeed, yes. Uh, in fact, the star uh, and, and titular character of my favorite film of all time, Barton Fink. Right. Uh, but we'll get to Barton Fink later. Yeah. Um, I want to start with something that leapt out at me in looking at his uh, his CV or, or, or resume or, or what have you. What is CV filmography? I don't know. Okay. Uh, on IMDb, is that even before he was like starring in movies, the bit parts he had in movies were in really good movies. Oh yeah. Like, isn't it weird that he has roles that I don't remember in Raging Bull and Hannah and Her Sisters? Yeah. And also uh, Desperately Seeking Susan, which. Uh, I'm not sure if I've ever talked on the podcast about how much I love that movie. I think you mentioned it briefly. I think I, actually, I might have done a uh, movie of the week pick for it at some point. I can't remember. Uh, yes, perhaps. Uh, I think maybe before we changed uh, the website. Yeah. Oh, no, I did that when I used to have a job writing. That's when I wrote about this. Oh, that's season. right. Yeah, yeah. That was nice. When Good I used times. To, when I used to get paid to write. Yeah. Anyway, and he was also into Live and Die in L.A., which, frankly, is not that great a movie, but yeah. it's uh, William Friedkin. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's him. Uh uh, and so that, that that just that just that just stuck out to me that this guy has it, 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 it should have been clear from the beginning that he was going to be involved with great projects because even when he probably just needed money and was taking roles he yeah. sort of fell ass backwards into amazing <laughs> movies. <laughs> I like that we've already characterized John Turturro as just a guy who's just ah, whoop, oops oh man I have no control over my own career. Yeah, well, although but, in those early days you kind of don't. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and he, he he didn't, and he ended up in in these in these great movies. But uh, um, 
the first big movie on on the list that mm-hmm. I saw, or, or the first big role for him, uh, and 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 to this day one of his most memorable is it, "Do the Right Thing." Yeah, um, it, in which he plays uh, the the son of the uh, pizzeria owner, right, and an employee of the pizzeria, yeah, and one of the uh, what are you looking Sorry, at? Just making sure one of the Italians uh, in this all black neighborhood, right. Um, uh, what do you what do you what do you think of uh, as as an actor or as a person who has acted? Okay, yeah. Uh, let's talk about John Turturro a bit. Okay, then go ahead. Oh, geez. <laughs> um, so, am I talking about him uh, primarily and do the right thing, or just uh, just certain tendencies that I notice in looking at his? Uh, well, let's talk. Let, uh, you're you're right. Let's let's talk about about do the right thing. Okay. Um, and the the character that he's, I mean, clearly the movie is written by Spike Lee. Yeah. Uh, and here's and John Turturro is. Uh, he probably says the most racist things in the movie, yeah. I guess, of anyone, yeah. right? I mean... I'd say that's about right. He's... he's. What's interesting is that the character, I don't, I never really view him as purely negative, but he, you're right, he does say the most, I would say, negative things racially, uh-huh. you know, in a, in a racially charged film. Um, you know, he he's the one who... You know, let's fly with. I think he, you know, it says the N word and, and yeah. stuff like that. Let's talk about how you. Th- that's what I'm trying to get at here. Okay. Um, uh, and I'll, I'll I'll approach it from a writer standpoint. I was trying to get you there oh, okay. from the acting standpoint, but I wasn't a very good guide. Well, uh, but 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 okay. you mentioned the how he's not wholly negative, right? You know, and um, it's it's very interesting that Spike Lee. Uh, I think it speaks to his intelligence that he wrote the character that way, right? You know, because obviously Spike Lee is black. Yeah. So it would be uh, if you're making a film about racism, when you're writing the guy who's racist, particularly against black people, right? It would probably be uh, tempting to just make him an out and out awful person, yeah. You know, but because of uh, certainly the way, way it's written, and also the way that it that Spike Lee directed him, and the way that he ended up performing it, yeah. Um, it's it, he's he's weirdly sympathetic, as much as you don't agree with what he says yeah uh you see him as a real person yeah and his his racism seems to be it doesn't seem to necessarily be malicious uh certainly not as much as it as it could have been and i think i think a lot of that has to do with certainly the way the way the character is written and and how we uh the way he's directed how we perceive him but i think a lot in the in the way that he's played i think john Turturro approaches him as a guy who's whose racism is largely cultural. It's not, you know, this is, he understands that this character is very much a, a, a product of his surroundings. It's different than, than like a, you know, a, a small racist sheriff in the South. Uh-huh. You know, a, a small town racist. No, you've been a, a diminutive man. Yeah, hey, <laughs> certainly uh, intellectually. Yeah. You know, like, a character like that could very well be racist because he's only ever known especially like in the 60s or something, he's only ever known white people and so just has a natural distrust. Whereas the character that Totoro plays in Do the Right Thing, he's, you know, he's, uh, this is going to sound uh, vaguely insulting, he's surrounded by them, you know? And, <laughs> no, I see uh, what you're saying, though. And so he's, he lives with them and clearly doesn't have much of a problem with uh, you know, them. With them, <laughs> man, I get tired of people. Anyway, that's yeah. just, it's like what? What do you mean by them? I mean the word. Uh, that's what I meant. <laughs> Sorry, 
I meant a way to uh, shorten my sentence. And so, so he doesn't real. I don't think he really. I don't think he's a like a true racist. I think this is just. I, I think uh, it's something that would later go on to be uh, uh, discussed in Twenty Fifth Hour. That when you live in a city that's you know just a total melting pot in itself, you will find characters who are just kind of casually kind of casually hostile but there seems to be an understanding that this is how this is how it's going to be and so there's a certain degree of acceptance in in his character and he doesn't yeah it's funny you mentioned <clears throat> i can think of an example is that um until i moved to los angeles i'd never heard of anyone being sort of like casually bigoted towards armenians yeah because there aren't armenians <laughs> everywhere right else in the world but there are armenians everywhere in los angeles really are. And, <laughs> um and people tend to to do they, they do that it's, it's yeah. not and it's not really uh again it's it's like you're saying it's not a super malicious thing like i like i've heard people talk about like i don't really think they hate armenians but they will make these broad generalizations about like yeah. the way they they all you know drive a certain kind of car wear a certain kind of clothes or do their hair a certain way you yeah. know uh that, that just i hadn't, hadn't really thought of it until you said that that that's but I'm and, not... and in st louis where i'm from yeah. th- there's a there's a large bosnian population really and yeah and that's weirdly the stereotypes about bosnians are very similar to the stereotypes about armenians yeah, in Nixa, where I lived, uh, they didn't like people from Arkansas. Um, <laughs> Is that true? That's absolutely true. <laughs> and so... Uh, so, wait. And black people. I don't think they care for black people as well. So, wait. Okay. Where I'm from, mm-hmm. in St. Louis... Yep. ...is... Probably far more different from Nixa than the Arkansas that's just across the border. That's right. <laughs> but they would be more accepting of me because I'm from Missouri and not from Arkansas. Yes. That's hilarious. It is hilarious. Even at the time, I remember thinking, like, don't you realize that, like, the rest of the country and even a good portion of your own state uh, <laughs> views you the same way that you seem to be viewing these? I guess <laughs> yeah. everyone needs Doesn't somebody. see the difference. Yeah, is right. what it, yeah no. Um, That's funny. But uh, anyway, so... Arkansas, but I wanna, don't want to sound like I'm denigrating Arkansas, by the way. It's no, one no, of the no. most beautiful states in the Union. If you've ever, yes. if you've ever driven through it, it's yes. amazing. And remarkably humid. Um, <laughs> well. But the thing is, what's interesting uh, is... You know, you were talking about the way some people talk about uh, Armenians in Los Angeles. I think that I think one of the true tests of like an actual racism, as strange as that phrase is, um, is that if you were to, you know, you can say all these things, but if you were to meet somebody who was Armenian, would you instantly just be like, oh, mm, you know, and I don't and I, probably not. No, you know? yeah. and, and I think that's actually the kind of I think that's how. Totoro plays the character just he's yeah because he's he talks to in a broad kind of a broad way yeah but he talks to to Mookie yeah as as an individual yeah you know um and he's not just hurling uh, insults at him all the time and or and when he does it it's back and forth between the two of them and it's kind of in a friendly bantery kind of way I think yeah um and I think yeah a lot of that has to do with. I think that's why Spike Lee has worked with John Turturro more than once, right. you know, is that uh, uh, Spike Lee r- first wrote it in a more uh, intelligent way than it could have been written. Yeah. 
and Jed Turturro saw that and played it the right way. Yeah, it would have been, even the way the character is wit- uh, written, it would have been easy to just play him as wholly negative, and that would have been very incorrect. I mean, he played him with a, a great degree of, of nuance, but, yeah. you know... He's not the smartest guy either. No. And that, that factors into his... Yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, so speaking of racism... All right. Uh, the... Uh, and on, on more than one occasion, the Cohen brothers have been accused of being anti-Semitic. Uh, yeah, I could see that. Uh, certainly <laughs> in uh, their most recent film, A Serious Man. Which I haven't seen. But um, yeah. I think one of the earliest uh, root causes of that accusation is John Hero's character in Miller's Crossing. I yeah. believe his name is Bernie Birnbaum. Yep. <laughs> um, and he is, uh, I mean, he is sort of a, a pitiable... Uh, whiny, sniveling character. Yeah, <laughs> and one who, but he's not. But in in the scene, you know, in the scene that everybody thinks of when they think of Miller's Crossing, which is him in the woods begging for his life. Uh, in that moment, you feel really bad for him. That's what I was going to get to. Is because he's been an unlikable character. He's not in the movie a whole lot, right? Right. But he's been an unlikable character up until that point. No, he well, the scene right before that is when he's You've seen it more recently than I have. Yeah. I mean the scene right before that is when we first see him, right. I think. Is that is that the case? Yeah, I think so, because everyone has been talking about him in a very negative way. Right. Uh but this is the first time we've actually seen him, I think. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, in the the scene before in the hotel room? Yeah. Is the first time we see him? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, we're led to dislike this character. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's the hotel room, and then all of a sudden there's him begging for his life. Yeah. And uh, the reason that scene is so effective is because you've been so geared up to not care about this guy. Right. You know? And and then suddenly there he is, just, you know, human and, and sad and, and, and begging. And it's uh, it's that's why it's such a powerful scene. Well, it's really the only emotion that you'll see in the in the whole film. Right. Um, every other character is just very cold. You don't see a lot of emotion. Their emotions come through in what they're doing. Like, oh, I guess Leo is angry that Tom has been sleeping with his girlfriend uh, because he's beating him up, but he has a complete stone face while he's doing it. Uh-huh. He's not upset. And so then you get... And I think it's it's interesting that in Bernie's first scene, he looks, pre- he looks pretty slick, you know, and uh-huh. kind of sleazy, kind of a Joel Cairo type, you know. He's, he's pretty <laughs> well-dressed. Um and he just looks very sure of himself. And then, of course, the next time we see him, he's he just loses it completely. And it's kind of refreshing, but it's really pathetic. Yeah. And and we're with him. We're like, oh, man, this is, you know, this is the side of uh, the mob that you don't see very often is somebody begging for their life. But, <laughs> just, yeah, I could see. It's like, oh, man, this character is really pathetic. Uh, I feel real. I feel really bad for him. But just when let's not let's not get our sympathy up too much because in the next not the next scene, but I think like a few scenes down, the next time we see Bernie, certainly, um, he has double crossed the guy who who spared his life. Right. And I think yeah, and and then and then of course uh, spoilers at the end when he starts to beg for his life again. Well, now we have no. Now we want him dead. Yeah. Um, yeah. I could, and the fact that his character. There's a lot of racial stuff in that film as well. The way 
people talk about Irishmen and Italians and stuff like that. But he's the one who, you know, there are there are plenty of okay representations of the Irish uh, in that film, but like the one Jewish character is pretty uh, rough. Wait. I don't know how okay the Irish are. I mean, they're pretty much all sort of violent drunks. Yes, that is true. And they're but not, they're not uh, kind to women. Uh, that yes, there's that as well. Um, but there's all and they're all violent, uh, murderous, horrible people. Right. But wi- but within that world, like there's a certain code of honor that like li- that like Leo stands by, and you know, and he's seen as kind of a. Uh, kind of a uh, kind of a softy when it comes to his girlfriend and stuff like that, um, and so, so yeah. I mean, by our standards, everyone in the film is pretty terrible. But within their standards, you know, uh, like Leo and to a lesser degree Tom, even though he's backstabbing just as much as anybody else, but it's out of a this noble sense of loyalty. So I think I think they kind of come off okay, and uh, and Casper the Italian like he. He comes off as kind of dumb, but he has a strong code of ethics as well. And then old Bernie comes along, and <laughs> he's got nothing, you know. So then um, after Miller's Crossing, uh, he would work with the Coens again. Yeah. Uh, and not for the last time. Uh, in the, as, the, as, uh, as I said before, the titular character in Barton Fink. That's right. Uh, and I, I don't know. Is it? Is it just me because it's my favorite movie, or do you agree? Would you agree that this is the defining role of his career? Um, hang on. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, well, I've not seen everything, but well, I guess it's odd that you say defining because I think it's defining to us. Mm. I think to the uh, the average person, probably his role in The Big Lebowski is what defines <laughs> him. Um, but I'd say it's probably between this and Quiz Show. Um, yeah. But this one is, he's definitely, uh, uh, you know, it's, he's the titular character. It's all about him. And so I would say this is, you know, for me, this is his titular, uh, I'm sorry, his, his uh, defining, defining, defining uh, role. performance. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, again, it's, it, it seems clear why directors like, like Spike Lee and the Coens uh, keep going back to him. Yeah. Um, he seems to really get, what they're going for. It always seems like he's in sort of lockstep with the, uh, with, with the filmmaker, yeah. you know, um, he, uh, he, he understands that, that, that Barton is, uh, not really the hero of this story. There's not really a hero. He's not right. Really a respectable guy. Yeah. There's, but, but again, like, like in do the right thing. He plays him, human and relatable, you know? Right. But at the end of the movie, he kn- he knows that by the end of the movie, y- you have to kind of, uh, not even necessarily sympathize, but just kind of feel sorry for him, you know? You know what I mean? Uh, after what happens, and, and he, he's he's been condescending the whole movie. Right. He's been very self-righteous, but he hasn't known, I don't think he's known it. Yeah. And then he has that moment of revelation where it's like, you know, I thought I was this. I thought I was this noble guy who has real who has sympathy for the working man. When in fact, I'm really just kind of exploiting them uh for my own success and not even exploiting them but exploiting my weird idea of them. And so you do feel bad for him because anytime somebody realizes what they are, it can be really uh yeah, really sad. 
Another thing, this is going to get slightly off the topic of John Turturro, but another thing about this movie that I love so much is that it doesn't... Uh, it's it's Barton Fink that sort of romanticizes the plot, the plight of the common man. Yeah. But the movie itself doesn't. The common no. man is a monster. Yeah. You know, and I and I kind of like that because I've always felt, um, I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence because I, uh, grew up in a sort of nicer part of St. Louis, not super yeah. nice, but a, a one of the better school districts. Yeah. You know, but my you know my dad was a car mechanic, my mom was a nurse. I had sort of that connection to quote-unquote common people jobs yeah. you know blue collar type of jobs yeah. you know and so i've always felt like like there's a what frankly is one of my favorite songs ever written is this song common people by pulp okay but i've always had a problem with the the sort of romanticism are you familiar with the song i don't think i am uh, okay it was like they uh they dance and drink and screw because there's nothing else to do and it's like yeah. Uh, it's like, no, we have aspirations, you yeah. know, and, uh, we're not just, you're too lazy to achieve them, of course, but you do <laughs> no. have them, yes. but we're not just partying all the time because we're resigned to our, our, our lot in life. Yeah. We have, we have aspirations and we also can, uh, be awful to each other just in the way that, that wealthy people can be awful to each other. Yeah. Uh, and we can, and, and that's kind of what I like about. Uh, Barton Fink, where, I mean, I don't want to spoil it, but the movie is 18 years old or whatever at this point. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the the common man is almost literally Satan, <laughs> or at least employed by him. Yeah, yeah. Um, excuse me. Um, yeah, and what I like is that uh, you know to we we wind up kind of talking about um, uh, the films that he is in and the nature of the characters that he's playing uh, more than than his actual performance, but. But his choices in Barton Fink, I mean, he, it is considered a comedy, I guess. Uh, I laugh a lot. But it's very funny. It was in the, uh, it, was in, it was found in the drama section of uh, the video store that I used to work in. The drama section? Yeah. Oh, it was and the comedy so, section of the video store where I first rented it. That's okay. why I rented it, because I was like, oh, it's comedy with John Goodman. Yeah. And, uh, and then you see that, and you're like, yeah. Yeah. It's funny. The detectives are funny, though. Oh, absolutely. And Lipnick is hilarious, but, uh. Sixth floor too high for you, Fink. Give you nosebleeds. <laughs> You know, usually I say uh, whatever you can <laughs> offer would be helpful. I'll be frank with you, Fink. That was not helpful. <laughs> Notice how he wasn't writing it down. Um, but the uh, but what I like is that um, John Turturro he has a surprising in this perhaps more so than than some of his other films, uh, or at least the ones that we've mentioned so far. He has a very solid comic sensibility. Um, but he's, he's very, I don't know. He's, he's a, he's an odd actor in that he can employ subtlety and nuance and get a laugh out of it or get a nice dramatic moment out of it. But when it comes time, you know, and he wakes up next to a corpse and screams, (laughs) it's hilarious. I mean, that's an over the top moment emotionally. And he plays that for comedy as well. It's just, he's very, he's able to. He's able to, within one character, take these, you know, these crazy, uh, you know, changes, you know, where in one moment it's dramatic, in one moment it's comedic, in one moment it's uh, very small, and in one moment it's huge. He can take all those, um, you know, uh, changes in the character, all those different levels, and make and form it into 
one complete character and they don't it doesn't feel like it's uneven at all it could but it doesn't feel like it it feels like we're watching a fully realized completely three-dimensional character and i think barton fink for me that is the best example of that because he's required to go up and down just all over the place and he does without ever seeming uneven and it's not just going from one type of thing to another it's it's blending them yeah you know when he's at the 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 dance you know and he's like uh you know pointing at his mind this this is my uniform it's hilarious yeah it's also triumphant it's also heartbreaking yeah it's it's all these things at the same time and it's really awkward it's the awkwardness yeah. of this guy in the midst of uh of these people like being so not self-aware that this is an okay, he thinks this is okay for him to yell at a at a soldier at a, a navy man yeah and so um <laughs> a navy man a navy man <laughs> okay so after barton fink um well he made his first foray into feature directing with mac yeah which, which I I've, saw. I've not seen it's okay it's okay get uh michael Bataluco is oh, in yeah. it and I, lo- I love him but um uh, uh and i hadn't seen anything else he's directed uh he did um what was the movie illuminati oh okay um and I, I don't know what else he's done didn't he do uh a musical recently Oh yeah, uh, romance and cigarettes. Romance I believe, and cigarettes. Which, which right. yeah, I, I haven't seen that. Perhaps we'll uh, profile him as a director at some point. <laughs> um, uh, but then he would go on from Barton Fink. He would go to play the common man. Yeah. In another movie that's about class. Yeah. Uh, quiz show. Yeah, and I think this is. Uh, I think this might be. I think it's probably my favorite of his performances because he has to play, man. He get he gets this character. First off, uh, one thing that I, I feel like we should mention at this point, he's had to play, off the top of my head, three different um, like ethnicities over the course of his career. Jewish, Italian, and Hispanic. But I think he's also played others. And yeah, just, well, we'll talk about uh, we'll, one later. Yeah, we'll get later. <laughs> but... Um, and just and what I like is that he never seems like okay. Well, in in the case of the Big Lebowski, he kind of seems like he's playing a stereotype. But we'll talk about that later. But what I like is that he first off, if, the, if there's an accent required or a certain cadence required, he can pull it off brilliantly. Um, and he just seems to somehow instinctively understand because he himself is Italian, but he's had to play, but he's played Jewish a couple of different times and. And you know those are different cultures, but he seems man he he seems to get it. He just seems to really understand that to the point that, you know, if you were to say, hey, what do you think, you know, what what you know ethnicity or what culture do you think John Turturro is from, and the person said, oh, uh, I don't know, does he have, does he have a Jewish back, background? You, you could, I'd believe it. I mean, his. <laughs> I know that sounds weird, and it might sound. Uh, does that sound bad? My saying that. No, because you've seen him play Jewish characters. Right. I mean, Barton Fink is... Yeah, oh, I mean based entirely on, like, uh, roles that he's played is what I meant. Sorry, not just the way he looks and acts. But, right, um, yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, that's what I... I knew you meant that, okay. but I know you, and I know you're not really a racist. I have my moments. <laughs> I'm looking at you, uh, Swedes. And so, uh, but in, in, uh, in Quiz Show, he's required to do... Some really amazing things because the character is not... He's sympathetic without being altogether pleasant. He is as the like the network executives... For those that haven't seen Quiz Show, it's about... Uh, it's about, you know, the uh, a specific quiz show in the 1950s called 21. 
and uh, John Turturro plays. Um, oh shoot, now I can't remember. Stemple, Herb Stemple, um, a very a guy who's doing very well on the show. He comes back. He just has uh, an amazing uh, mind for facts, and he's just doing great. But you know, he is working class, and he seems to have kind of a chip on his shoulder about that. Um, and he's just. He is kind of, uh, to a certain degree, like, you know, he's kind of a st- sort of a stereotype, but not necessarily in a negative way. What I mean is the way the negative, uh, the, the network executives see the, see the, the guy, they see him as like, this guy's not very pleasant and he's Jewish and, you know, he's kind of, he's kind of whiny and he's just <laughs> kind of shrill. Um, uh, we want somebody a little more clean cut and a little less Jewish and, um, and so we have to realize that them seeing him as that as that is unfair and bigoted but we are still not on his side because he is a guy who uh had a huge chip on his shoulder about his about what you know his his lot in life and kind of rather unfairly set his sights on the person who wound up beating him, even though, spoilers again, it's revealed that Stemple was given, he was given the answers. Uh And the guy who beat him was also given the answers. And so why does he focus on him and not the the executives? And the way Stemple is treated is very unfair, but there's a way... The brilliance, I think, of the writing and the way he plays him, he does not play him as a guy that you'd want to hang out with. Uh-huh. He's bitter and he's kind of annoying, but that doesn't mean that what was done to him is justifiable. Right. And I think that's that's the brilliance of, of the way the character's conceived, but the way he's played. He doesn't try to play him as overly sympathetic as a person, but somebody who is definitely wrong. And I think we're we're getting into like a through line in his career where he, he he's not afraid to make choices that he knows will lead an audience to dislike him. Yeah, but at the same time, he never strays too far from being sympathetic. Right, it, right. It's it's really quite marvelous. Yeah, I, I don't. No, that's it's it's true. He's very he's he's just really great at keeping the audience's sympathy while never while never really asking for it. Uh-huh. As, as strange as that may sound. Yeah. Um, but uh, oh, we got to move on. <laughs> what was that sound? That, that was, was we're at forty six minutes. <laughs> We got plenty of time. Um, yeah, well, we already mentioned the Big Lebowski, and what, there's not a whole lot to say about it. It's not a very big role or even a pivotal one. It's but it is one of the most quoted in oh, yeah. in, in the movie. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous that role. <laughs> and I remember I remember when the movie was uh, you know it was uh, it was about to come out, and at movie theaters they would have like you know these big posters, and the, each character would kind of have his own thing, and Jesus. Uh-huh. And at the time, because it's like, well, his name can't possibly be Jesus. It must be Jesus. Uh-huh. You see him standing there just glaring at you in that all purple uh, attire. Uh-huh. And you think like, oh, man, he's going to play a big role in this. And you watch it, and he doesn't. He doesn't play a big role to the central mystery. Uh-huh. But, and this is the brilliance of the writing, He's just as much an adversary as the nihilists or Jackie Treehorn because he's their he's the dude's bowling rival. Yeah, and, and that that's is, part of the charm of the movie is yeah. the bowling is just, just as, as, as important as important to the dude. Yeah. 
<laughs> but uh, that's all we really need to say about that. We can well, we can move along. Just his again, just his commitment to the character and just playing this guy as so insanely over the top. Uh-huh. But and I mean, he licks a bowling ball. <laughs> You know, it's gross. It is gross. I'm sure they cleaned it, but come on. I don't put my tongue on really anything. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, and it's just so much fun, and it just shows that that more, perhaps more than anything else shows, man, this guy is, he's committed, and he knows how to get a, a legitimate laugh. Um, I want to, I just want to mention a role, because it's in a movie that isn't that great, but it's another... Uh, Movie he did with uh, with Spike Lee called He Got Game. Okay, and he ha- doesn't even have a very big uh, role in it in terms of like screen time or lines. But mm-hmm. he, he uh, it's it's funny if you look at all the roles we've talked about so far. One thing, one through line is that they're definitely not macho guys. Yeah, you know, I mean, maybe do the right thing, but that's yeah, I that's posturing. That. He's still not an athletic guy. That's true. You know. Yeah. But in He Got Game, he plays a college basketball coach, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of a, like a big, uh, some big college team. Yeah. And um, there's not a whole lot to say about it because, like I said, it's not that great a movie. But it's, again, it's, it's, it just adds to his sort of like chameleonic uh, abilities, you yeah. know, to become this uh, this tough guy, you know, a, yeah. a sports guy, which is not what he oh, is yeah. anywhere else. But Spike Lee saw that in him and, and cast him. It's Spike Lee... Clearly sees different things in John Turturro than the Coens do. Yeah, and I think that's kind of cool because whenever yeah. he uses them, it's like he's the voice of the dog in Summer of Sam. He sure is. But uh, <laughs> uh, and then uh, so after he got game, there's Rounders, which is good. Uh, I'm a big fan oh, of I John Dahl. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but I haven't I've seen it since high school, so there's not a lot I can really say right. about it. Uh, there's Cradle Will Rock, which I know you're a fan of. I yeah thought it was a little overwrought. Uh, there's no it's directed by Tim Robbins how could it not be yeah, um, sagged under its own weight a little bit uh, yeah um, but his his part uh, was very crucial again he plays a working class guy um, but uh, you know and in the midst of you know he, he plays kind of the anti-Barton Fink where in the midst of all these intellectual types he's just a guy he's just a working actor who just needs the, who just needs this job and uh and really, it's character. It's him and characters like him that that actually root the film in in reality. Because without those parts and the way they're played, because you know you've got you know you've got Orson Welles as a character and just all these kind of over the top rich people, and you've got uh, uh, Diego Rivera and just all these you know all these kind of o- over the top type uh, characters, um, and. But then you also have John Turturro's role, and he he almost is forced to. I'm not saying that he he doesn't play it well; he plays it very well. But it's almost like he's forced to underplay everything, so that it's like every time we see him, we know we're going to get a break from uh-huh. the the craziness of it all. And uh, and yeah, and so uh, his performance it's very sincere. It's very uh, you know it's it's not the most memorable in the film because the very nature of that film. All these other char- all these other crazy characters are are more memorable, but his is probably in a film that I'd say lacks a certain degree of heart. Uh, his is, I'd say, by far the most heartfelt. So we can move on. Uh, well, let's move on to a movie that I luckily just recently rewatched, which is Oh Brother Where Art Thou? Okay, uh, now I, I haven't saw, seen it in a while, so go right. I, ahead. I saw it just about a week and a half ago. Um, and what's really interesting about the way that he plays uh, Pete, yeah, in in that movie is that. Uh, once again, I think 
no, I like Tim Blake Nelson. I like George Clooney. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that once again, John Turturro is more simpatico with the Coens than those two are, mm-hmm. because I mean the movie's a comedy and everything that Pete does pretty much is hilarious. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like do not seek the treasure. <laughs> that's uh, that's very funny. But um, one thing you'll notice when watching those three is that John Turturro is almost never mugging. He's almost never playing the comedy. Right. Whereas Clooney and Tim Blake Nelson both do, and it works. Yeah. That's their choices. But 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 Jundra Turo almost he, he he plays everything straight, you know? Yeah. Like you know, uh after they steal the car and he, he like he's throwing rocks at his uh his brother's son and I yeah. go back home and mind your paw after his paw has just like yeah. double crossed him. It's like it's it's such a crazy line thing to say about someone who's just like tried to yeah. send you to jail, but he plays it completely straight, and you see like this is the way the family dynamic works, which is what makes the scene with the sirens when Pete loses oh, yeah. his fucking mind. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but that's what makes it hit home so much more because he's just he's been uh he's been playing it straight the whole time, and then all of a sudden he's just like biting his his yeah. his, uh, his fist and screaming and and wailing. Well, he's. He's a much needed part of uh, there's you know he's not I don't think he's as funny as Clooney or Tim Blake Nelson but he's funny enough in his own right and as you say he's not mugging he's kind of he's kind of the Larry in this three students <laughs> right you know without him to kind of anchor them then it would just be too silly yeah you know you need him you know you've got uh George Clooney's self-assured kind of thing and then you've got Tim Blake Nelson as just this stupid. He's just stupidly optimistic. <laughs> um, and you need this guy in the middle who I still think that line that's it's in the trailer. But when he's like, uh, I, I vote for yours truly. Well, I vote for yours truly, too. Well, I'm with you, fellers. It's a fu- it's funny. They're, they're all very funny. I mean, I'm not saying that uh, that the other guys are mugging too much or overplaying it. But if you're going to have these guys at these two separate ends of the spectrum, one guy who thinks he's really smart and and acts as such and the other guy who's just such a pleasant sort and just kind of going along with it but is pretty dim you need you do need someone in the middle who's willing to as you say play it straight because it's needed you need a straight man in a comedy especially when there's you know three guys if you have three guys just all of them playing incredibly over the top then it's just like okay you lost me from the word go but uh the thing that uh, a line that makes me laugh, and it's because, and he doesn't play it. He doesn't play it big. He actually plays it very quiet. And it's when Delmar goes and and gets baptized, and you just hear him go, "I'll be a son of a bitch." Delmar's been saved, <laughs> and just the way he says it is just so it's so much fun. And and yeah, for a long time, I remember uh, in that film, not really. Now I, I had a hard time kind of getting behind his character because there wasn't as it wasn't as easy to latch on to him be, uh-huh. as it was Clooney or or uh, Tim Blake Nelson because he has to be in the middle there, but he does a lot with that and a lot happens to his character. I mean, there you know he's faced with being hanged. Yeah, and he gets turned into a toad. He gets to, oh man, he gets no. turned into yeah. I know. No, he doesn't. And so, um, you know, so it's just. He he has to play. I thought you was a toad. <laughs> I think that's the funniest scene in the movie. It's pretty personally. funny, yeah. <laughs> um, and so the uh, 
so yeah, I, I really I really enjoy his his part in that more so than I did years ago because I understand the necessity of the way he is playing, and I think he did as well. Okay, um, I, I don't really have a lot to say about thirteen conversations about one thing. Yeah. Um, I know you've probably seen it more often because you actually own the DVD. Only, it's, it's been a while, but yeah. I've only seen it the once. Yeah, uh, in the theater. But um, I do remember that it's it's uh, he's. It's a different it's a different thing than what we're talking about because by the end we don't really feel sorry for him. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's he's a sympathetic character and he's he's having an affair with uh who is it? Is it who's the actress? I don't recall. I think he's married to Amy Irving though, right? Oh, is that what it is? Okay. I think so. Again, but, it's um, been it's been years since I've seen it. Yeah. Well, maybe we should just skip it. But okay. I, I just do remember that that it's uh, it's a it's a different type of choice. It's a more black and white thing, and that's a more, it's kind of a moralistic movie too. Yeah. You know, so it it does have sort of uh, definite endings for its character for its stories. You know, well, and the character himself, it's a different kind of character than what we've been talking about. He's a character who I think is, he's probably upper middle class. He's kind of an intellectual. He's not working class, and and so I think the sympathy for his character comes with. He finds himself in this situation, and for all of his intelligence, he's just not really sure what to do about it. You know, he can't stop doing what he's doing, but he recognizes what it's doing to his life, and so it's a very different and and he you know it's it's subtlety all the way with this character. He's just he it's it takes place in our reality. He's not required. It's not a funny character. It's pure drama, and. And yeah, it's it's uh, in that film. I'd say that's that. Uh, Thirteen conversations about one thing. Uh, watch it for Alan Arkin primarily. Yeah. Uh, but everyone else is doing good work, and and he certainly is as well. He's uh, he's very much part of the ensemble. Now this is where our, our lists have been more or less identical up until this point. But yeah. you've seen some stuff that I haven't, and vice yeah. versa. After this, so um, the next thing I was going to mention was was Mr. Deeds actually, which I've not seen. Um, but uh, we can kind of get this all out of the way. And the Mr. Deeds anger management, and you don't mess with the Zohan. <laughs> uh, him, it's 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 again after Spike Lee and the Coens. Yeah. Then there's Adam Sandler and his so the Happy Madison people. Yeah. Uh, also see a third weird thing <laughs> that they can that they can uh, they can use in him. And of course in Zohan he's uh, he plays yet another. Uh, Ethnicity. He's a Palestinian. Oh, okay. And so he's a Palestinian terrorist leader. Okay. Uh, in Zohan, and um, that's the, I'll talk. You know, Mr. Deeds. He's actually funny in Mr. Deeds, but it's a terrible movie. Yeah. Uh, and Anger Management isn't that much better. But you don't. You don't. I don't even it. remember who he plays in Anger Management. Uh, I think is he in is, is he in the group uh, the therapy group possibly I don't know uh, I haven't seen it for seven years but um uh Zohan I actually really like I thought the movie was very funny yeah and. And he's and he's great in it because the the, the movie's well, a the movie's smarter and more satirical than most people who haven't seen it would assume coming yeah. from Heavy Madison because satire is not their thing yeah. generally you know uh, but he the <laughs> the idea is that um, if the Israelis and Palestinians who have been fighting for centuries uh, had access to the uh, consumerism of america they would forget their differences and just like all the stuff <laughs> that's kind of the point of the the, the the satirical point of the movie i'm not uh-huh. sure they actually that i'm saying actually feels that way you know but uh 
But like, there's there's a, an amazing scene where uh, Adam Sandler and John Turturro are about to fight, mm-hmm. you know, and Mariah Carey is in the room playing herself. All right. Uh, and she's having trouble with her Bluetooth thing, and John Turturro stops the fight to explain to her how to hook up, how to sync her Bluetooth with her, like, desktop or nice. whatever. It's, uh, it's hilarious. And it's, it's like you talked about in... It, we, when we were talking about Barton Fink, but the you know these are the most out and out, like you know, Oh Brother Art Thou, and then these Adam Sandler movies are the most straightforward comedies that he's yeah. done, and he rises to the the occasion just like he would in, in anything else. Yeah. So that's I want I got those three out of the way. The, okay. Uh, the Adam Sandler thing. What's what's next on your list? Well, I wanted to mention some of the work that he's done on television. Um, okay. Years ago, uh, I guess everybody was obsessed with Howard Cosell. Um, because within like one year, uh-huh. you had John Voight in Ali, uh-huh. and then you had uh, a made-for-TV movie called Monday Night Mayhem. Monday Night Mayhem, yeah. um, in which he plays that. Howard Cosell. It's an okay film, but man, he is great. I mean, he's just, and of course, everything about Howard Cosell is kind of, kind of a parody of humanity, anyway. Um, just the way he talks, the way he looks. Um, but uh, and as, as listeners know, I'm not a big fan of John Voight, but his performance in Ali is great, partially because I, I feel like John Voight is an overactor. But to play a character like <laughs> Howard Cassell, yeah. you need an overactor, I think. Spe- but he's very much a supporting role in that. He's very much a lead in Monday Night Mayhem. So you need an actor who's willing to go beyond mere imitation and actually try and find what makes this guy tick but you know with Howard Cassell I mean you don't get a lot of that you know people know him primarily as as this kind of public figure um who was kind of had this odd way of speaking and was just very you know like this and just and so uh and if I recall correctly it's been a while since I since I saw it but the the film itself doesn't try to give you a lot of what drove him as a person and you know when there when you know through all the hirings and firings like how that affected him emotionally it only kind of hints at it which basically means hey actor it's all up to you and and so he he manages to to give us unmistakable this is Howard Cassell but also show us without overplaying like inner turmoil or whatever um the fact that this guy just because he had this odd way because he looked this kind of strange way and had an odd way of speaking doesn't mean that he was emotionally numb and that the the events that happened during the film do have do take their toll on him and he has a reaction he just doesn't seem to want to let anybody else know what it is and it's actually a really it's a i would recommend it it's probably on dvd i'm sure it is at this point um i'd recommend it on his performance alone it's really really great okay um and then i also want to mention uh his performance he was in i think three episodes of monk uh, um really as monk's brother adrian uh adrian monk's brother ambrose and basically what was that adrian adrian monk is tony Tony and then his brother ambrose monk played by john Turturro. Tatatero should always play characters named Ambrose. What a great I, name. <laughs> he should play Ambrose Bierce. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, of course, uh, people who watch Monk, which, by the way, is a, it's a really solid show. I really enjoy it. Um, and it's, you know, it it's Sherlock Holmes. That's the idea. Um, 
there's a character parallel for pretty much every major character. And Sherlock Holmes had a brilliant brother who almost never went outside named Mycroft. Uh-huh. And Ambrose is that. Now, Mycroft never went outside because he was lazy and didn't and was brilliant and actually smarter than Sherlock, but he didn't like putting in effort and so he would just make these brilliant claims and like crack the case, but he wasn't willing to put the effort into actually proving what he kind of instinctively knew. Uh-huh. Um and it always frustrated Sherlock Holmes. Now, uh in the case of Ambrose, he is also kind of crazy because you know uh adrian monk is obsessive compulsive well ambrose is a, a agoraphobic and he just he won't leave the house because he's insane what must their parents have been like well we'll find we'll find out when uh old dan hedea shows up as their father um man whoever is in charge of casting over there at monk is right on the money it's sure they sure that's are. perfect and so um so ambrose and he plays him as just this character who he knows how smart he is. He is, in fact, smarter than Adrian, but he's just so... And he's funny, but he's he plays him as so sad. I mean, as sad as, as Adrian is because he, he lost his wife before the show starts. Um, Ambrose, like, he, he somehow blames himself for uh, Adrian's wife's death, and he just, he has, like, a lot of guilt and... But he knows how brilliant he is, and he knows how he could probably benefit society, but he's afraid to go outside, and he's just, you know, he's controlled very much by this fear. And so he basically just stays at home and writes instructional manuals. That's what he does. That's what he does for a living. And it's a very tragic character, uh, but always still funny, especially in watching the two of them relate, because he and Tony Shalhoub just seem to be on this great wavelength where they understand that when you're talking to your brother who was raised by the same parents, raised in the same way as you, there's a certain degree of shorthand that you will have. Uh, maybe not even so much in what you're saying, but the way in which you're saying it. You know, you kind of your guard gets let down a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's the, the show is never more fun than when they are acting with each other. Uh, and it's just a it's a really solid performance uh, and a, and just a fun character and and I really enjoyed watching him in it and it was a pleasant surprise because I didn't know that he was going to be in those episodes. Well, let me get a couple out of the way because is uh, I got two more on mine. Is your next one what? Transformers. Okay. Oh, you know what? I've got three. I'm sorry. I've got the Good Shepherd. You know. Okay. Well, I've got a couple before. Okay. I want to mention real quick. Uh, there's a movie called Fear X, which I think is actually really really bad. Okay. But it's um, I can picture the cover right now. <laughs> um. It's I don't know I haven't seen this this guy who made it has uh, gotten a lot of I don't even know if acclaim is right but notoriety in his native country I mm-hmm. think he's Russian I can't remember okay. uh, I'm gonna uh, uh, foreign film fans uh, who listen to us are gonna beat me up for this because I don't know anything about this guy you don't know enough about Fear X <laughs> no because this is the his English language film that he oh made, okay and it's the only one that I've seen of his films um, and it's really bad. It's really dumb, and it tries too hard. Oh, okay. But it stars John Turturro and yeah. also James Remar, who's another guy that I love. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's it's a testament to both of the, both of those those uh, those men and their just ability to be watchable. Yeah. You know, because the movie is filled with lots of long static shots, you know, not a whole lot of dialogue. So it's just these John Turturro and James Remar, and if they're on screen whether they're talking or not they're they're being interesting just 
by nature of being in front of a camera. Yeah. And that's uh, Fear X is kind of a, te- a testament to Judge Turo's natural ability, even though it's a really dumb movie. Yeah, somebody of, of his stature, I think, will probably wind up showing up in, you know, uh, in films that don't deserve him. Um, because uh-huh. he's not a huge star. People know who he is, but he's not a huge star. He can't, uh, well, he can carry a movie, but he's, I don't think he's allowed to very often, uh, unless it's a much smaller film, uh-huh. uh, like Fear X. And so you wind up like, oh, this movie isn't very good, but man, this guy's turning in great work. Yeah. Um, all right. So, and I'm then gonna, I also want to oh, mention okay. Secret Window. Oh yeah. See, oh yeah. I, I forgot to write that down, but I have seen it. And he's great. Yeah. That's a movie that I was so... I was when I heard they were making because I'd read the novella. Yeah, you know it, it's not one of my favorite Stephen King novellas, but it's pretty good. Yeah, you know. But when they were making it, and then I saw the cast, and I was like, that that's a weird choice for John Turturro. Yeah, you know, even though he had already done the the Southern thing in Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Yeah, it's still like he's like this weird murderous hick guy, yeah. and it just seems so weird. Such, such a weird choice for him. Yeah, I've used the word weird. Way too much in the past it's a weird 30 movie. seconds. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was not prepared for that movie to be fucking awesome, <laughs> which is what it is, by the way. If you yeah. haven't seen it, it's ten times better than you think it is. Yeah. Uh, and John Turturro is terrifying. And yeah. also, again, the movie has a weird... Ah, damn it, I did it again. But, uh, strange. An, an, o- strange. an offbeat sense of humor to oh, see yeah. the window. Because it's not... And it's not a it's not a comedy, you know. It's a yeah. it's a psychological thriller or whatever, but it's funny. Yeah, uh, it, it's bizarre at least. It's absurd in in some oh, yeah. ways. And and once again, Totoro just gets it. Yeah, he, he gets exactly what the film is going for, and so he's terrifying and menacing when he needs to be, and he's over the top and laughable when he when he needs to be. Yeah, and just and the way in which he kind of goes back and forth with Johnny Depp, he's actually surprisingly. I'm not sure if this is the word to to use, but he's kind of he's surprisingly droll, uh-huh. where he's just so incredulous about this guy stealing his story that it's kind of funny. I mean, watching watching the two of them, I feel like John Turturro is an actor who not he's not necessarily at his best, but he really I think he he's energized by feeding off of other actors. Uh-huh. Uh, he's really fun to watch when he's going back and forth with somebody. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, Secret Window is just that movie. You know what? We'll talk about that movie next week. Um, <laughs> right. And so, uh, okay. So I'll briefly talk about. Um, you mentioned him not being like a like a threatening person. Uh huh. Well, in The Good Shepherd, he plays. Uh, it's it's all about you know the the early days of the CIA, and he plays an uh, an agent who you're on board with him and stuff, but he's a guy who doesn't question orders. And there is a scene specifically where he has to torture somebody, and man, it is devastating. It, not just because you see John Turturro beating somebody up, but his whole attitude is so threatening and so intimidating, which is not, you know, those are not two words I associate with him. Uh-huh. That even after Secret Window. Even after, I know, <laughs> I know, I should think of him as a Spider-Man villain or something, <laughs> but... um. That scene is maybe the most because uh, Good Shepherd is a good movie. It's not great. It's a great performance by Matt Damon, but he plays a character who just is, does not show emotion. So there's really not a lot to latch on to. And so uh, John Turturro's scene where he is torturing somebody who very well could be innocent. You're not really sure. Um, 
is one of the most invigorating scenes in the film because it has so much life and vitality to it. And it is so it's a side to him that I had never seen before. It was really it was really exciting to to see. And uh, I reckon recommend the movie in general, but keep an eye out for for him because do you really recommend the movie? I haven't seen it. I don't I think do. we've ever talked about it because I, I heard it was kind of boring. Um, it can be. Uh, I found enough. It's 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 a movie that it's not going to make any emotional appeals to you. You have to try to understand it purely on an intellectual level. How's Joe Pesci? Oh, he's fine. He's not in it very much, but he's he's good in it. Yes. I wish he was in more stuff. I know what happened to Joe Pesci. I think he got uh, sick of being uh... Joe Pesci. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, he went from being this uh, terrifying presence in these Martin Scorsese movies to yeah. sort of being uh, a caricature, caricature of that, or at least in people's minds, you yeah. know. And then he's doing eight, eight heads in a duffel bag, yeah, and uh, gone sure, fishing. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure the dude's got enough money; he doesn't need to work if that's the kind of roles he's going to get. Good for him, I suppose. It would be nice to see him again, though, um, because I feel like at this point there's like an entire generation. Who they don't know who he is, or the only thing they know him in is Home Alone, right? You know, but uh, but yeah, I I would recommend. I would have. I remember thinking that we're getting off topic here. We're talking about Joe Pesci, but I remember thinking in seeing World's Greatest Dad, which was great, and and Robert Williams was good in it, but that that would have been a good role for Joe Pesci to come back in. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Based on what I know about the role, it doesn't seem like. Oh, I guess it doesn't seem like a Robin Williams kind of role either. Now that I think about it, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like. Instead of you know, I mean, Roman Williams is always good in movies when he doesn't have to when he's not being Patch Adams or whatever, right. you know. Uh, but I, I, I just think that it, I remember thinking like because I think about Joe Pesci more often than I should, and <laughs> why he's not in more movies because I think he's great. Uh, that's why I had an answer, you know, at, yeah. the, at the ready when you asked me. Uh, so occasionally I will think about actors who like uh, are deserving like a. Like the Tarantino comeback treatment, yeah. you know, and like uh, Joe Pesci would have been good in in World's Greatest Dad. That would have been a, a cool, different thing for him to do. Yeah, his uh, his performance in in The Good Shepherd is is very good. It's it's a it's a very it's a solid movie. It certainly isn't great. Uh, there's some really good performances going on, and uh, and John Turturro is certainly one of them. Early on in the film, you really feel like it's just going to be like this bit part with really nothing to do. Uh, and then his his role kind of grows, and it culminates in that scene, which is just so amazing. Um, okay, so I'm going to move on to a couple movies where, because he is an actor who, when I see when I see his name in the credits, John like, Turturro's John Turturro, not yeah. Joe Pesci, yeah, um, hey, Joe Pesci too. But we're talking about John Turturro today. Uh-huh. Um, when I see his name in the credits of a film, I'm always like, hey, all right, this pro- this movie's probably going to be better because of him. And surely enough, when I saw Transformers, I did not see the second one. He's in that one as well. Um, but when so I he saw, survives the first movie. He does. Yes. All right. And uh, I'll say this: you don't expect him to, uh, because he is an asshole oh, in really? the first one. But in the <laughs> in the best kind of way, he brings he brings such life to that movie. Um, and I actually like a lot of the, you know, a lot of the not necessarily the characters, but I feel like a lot of there's a lot of comedy. In the human roles uh, of Transformers, but then comedy he, that's brought, but no, I only saw the first forty-five <clears> minutes. I didn't even get to John Turturro right. in the movie. But uh, if you're talking about like Kevin Dunn and stuff yeah. like that, comedy that's brought by the actors, not by the material. They're Absolutely, with. Absolutely. Just want to make that clear. Yeah, it's not a good script. Uh, if anything in that movie, in any Michael Bay movie, really is funny, it's because someone funny has been cast. Yeah, and has worked their ass off to make something funny. 
Here's what I'll say, though. John Turturro's character in Transformers, it's written very broadly. Uh-huh. And, you know, if you have a good actor, then you can make it funny. If you had a, a an okay actor, it would fall flat. Thankfully, they have a good actor who comes in. He's a government agent, and he's everything... Because there's no subtlety to be found in Transformers, he doesn't need to be subtle. He's acting alongside robots. <laughs> and so so he plays it so over the top, he just barges in. He's everything that a government agent in the movies is supposed to be, uh-huh. where he just comes in, interferes with everything, and then just and is really egotistical about it. Where Would you compare him to the character voiced by Christopher McDonald in The Iron Giant? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'd say that. But right down to, uh, you know, someone's like, how can you, you can't do it. He goes, we can. We're the government. <laughs> Stuff like that. It's a lot of fun. His role is so much fun to watch in that movie. But, Maybe uh, I should watch more than 45 minutes of it. I don't think so. I'm not. You know, it's if you're in it for the duration, then take a little joy. But uh, no offense. He's, he's a lot of fun, but it's not worth sitting through. Um, and then actually a very similar kind of role is in the new Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3, which did you see? I forget. No, I haven't seen okay. it. Okay. I saw it. I liked it more than I thought I would. And what I like in that film is he plays, for those that, that don't know, Denzel Washington plays uh, a character who works for like the, the public transit, transit system, and he kind of winds up as being the go-between uh, for the police and the... Uh, you know, hostage takers. Is that, is that sure. there's a word for that, and now I can't think of what it is. I, I don't know. Anyway, so um, and then of course, then the cops show up, and uh, the actual hostage negotiator, played by John Turturro, shows up. And man, you really expect him to just be like the guy, the FBI guys in Die Hard, or his own character in Transformers, just come in, you know. Uh, bully everybody around and and of course just make things worse and he comes in and i think it's it's partially the way the character is written but i'd say it's predominantly how the character is played there is no condescension he has tremendous sympathy for how denzel washington for denzel washington's plight he uh-huh. understands like you you're a part of this you didn't ask to be and he's just saying like hey you can you can go now. We've got this. It's fine. But he doesn't play it like you can go now, transit man. <laughs> you know, he plays him as a guy who understand who has tremendous sympathy for other people as a hostage negotiator would need, I think. And so so then it becomes clear that the that Travolta's character, he wants to keep talking to Denzel Washington. And so so John Turturro kind of takes he takes an like an advisor role. Where he he will pull uh, Denzel Washington into another room and say, "Okay, look, you know you've not done this before, so here's here's what I would recommend: listen for this, listen for that. If he ever says this, say this." And so, and of course, those lines could have been said like, "Now look, I know you've never done this before," <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't play it like that. He plays it as somebody who cares more about his job than his ego. And understands that people are innocent. People are going to get killed, and so why am I going to why am I going to freaking big league this guy? Right. You know. And it's just well, it's it was so refreshing to see the character played that way. 
You know what? In, in classic BP style, I want to end this uh, thing on a tangent that has nothing to do with John okay. Turturro and talk about Tony Scott. Because weirdly, I was thinking about Tony Scott this morning. Okay. Um, and how he's I was t- I was taking a break thinking about Joe Pesci <laughs> so that I could think about Tony Scott for a minute. Um, he's a guy who his movies uh, get so much attention for the flashy ways in which they're shot and cut Yeah, that he doesn't get enough credit for the fact that most of his movies have good screenplays and all of them have great performances. Oh, yeah. Even Domino, which is terrible, yeah. has good performances in it from in certain people. Yeah. <laughs> but, and, and like, I mean, if you think about the uh, James Gandolfini, Patricia Arquette scene in the hotel room. Oh, in, yeah. Uh, you know, for all the way you sh- you shoot and cut that, you have to be able, he has, you have to be able to direct James Gandolfini and Patricia Arquette to get to that point where that is one of the most disturbing scenes in film, especially yeah. in the director's cut. Uh, and so I just wanted to come to Tony Scott's defense because I don't think he gets defended often enough anymore. I would, I'd say that's true. Um, as you know, I'm not... Crimson Tide is another one. It's oh, yeah. Great performances. Yeah, and that's a film that really is not cut that crazily. Yeah, that's one of his more uh, reserved yeah. films. Um, yeah, that's a movie that's hinged completely on the performances. And uh, yeah, he's a, he's a good director. And a we great should... screenplay. We should, yeah, yeah. Uh, we should profile him sometime. We I should. feel like that'd be okay. Um, it would require very little work on our part. <laughs> yeah. And so, Although, I, mean, um, I haven't seen Top Gun since I was a kid. That's, but uh, it'd be a treat for me to watch it again, probably. Treat. Um, <laughs> anyway, so, uh, yeah, and so, okay, I guess that's all we have that's, to say that's about it. That's John the Turturro. end of the list. Thanks we've for listening. Co- <laughs> yeah, we've covered, uh, we've actually covered quite a bit. He's really just, he's a, he's a great actor who, uh, he's never been nominated. He's just, he's not... I feel like he's not the kind of actor that people immediately think of as great, which is yeah. why one of the reasons why I think it's important that we profile him today yeah. so that people realize this guy can always be counted on to deliver and, as you say, deliver what the filmmaker wants. And so, um, hang on a sec. And so, uh, yeah, it's just hopefully uh, if you've not seen Do the Right Thing, Miller's Crossing, Barton Fink, Secret Quiz Window, Show, Secret Window, <laughs> uh, you um, know, hopefully you will seek those out because it's he, he's really he's one of my favorite male actors, probably, yeah. probably second after Casper Van Dien. <laughs> okay, first off, it's Casper Van Dien, not Diem. You're thinking of Carpe Diem, Seize the Day. Um, okay, so uh, so on that, Which, everybody... as played out as that sentiment is, it's more interesting to me than Casper Van Dien. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Clearly, you've never seen uh, that Tarzan movie he was in. Huh. Um, okay, so yeah, uh, thanks everybody for listening. You can always... Oh, I want to mention, we've, we talked about it before, we want to do it again, because uh, we never got around to doing it, but the we talked about this earlier this afternoon. Uh, short video segments on the website. Oh, okay. Um, just... Whatever you want to ask us about movies, about, uh, I don't know, where, where we get our fucking Relation- haircut. Relationship advice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can ask uh, you can ask uh, religious or secular questions of <laughs> Tyler and me. Right. <laughs> uh, that would, that would I like be... the idea of, of secular questions. Like, <laughs> hey, David, there's no God, right? Okay, just checking. <laughs> But I mean, I mean, religion versus secularity. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. anything you think that we might know anything about, yeah. Ask us; it'll be fun. Yeah. Um, and if you want to ask, what you do is that is you uh, send me an at uh, a, a reply uh, on Twitter. I'm at the pretension. Yeah. I'll, I'll put out calls for them every once in a while, but uh, on Twitter. But just uh, 
it, it it'll be it'll be fun. There'll there'll be a, f- a few minutes at at most, yeah. And you can watch them on the website. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, of course, uh, as he mentioned, he is on Twitter at the Pretension. I'm on Twitter at More Lessons. Um, you can email us Tyler at BattleshipPretension.com, David at BattleshipPretension.com. Uh, we have a Facebook page. You can become a, a fan. Uh, go to iTunes and uh, write us a nice review. Subscribe if you are not subscribed. Um, and also just. Uh, Everybody, voting for the podcast awards ends on November 30th. So why don't you help me out? Head on over to the podcastawards.com. Uh, I'm sorry, it's just podcastawards.com. And uh, go under the religion inspiration category. I am very inspirational. Hopefully I'm inspiring you to do this. <laughs> uh, click on more than one lesson and, uh, and then put, put in your vote. Uh, and here's the thing. You can vote once a day. So it is currently it is the uh, the twenty first today. So you but it'll be the twenty second when this comes out. So you've got eight days, everybody. That's eight votes per person. We've got a big audience. Everybody, go over and help me out. I don't want to lose this thing to a bunch of hippies. That's my, <laughs> that seems to be my competition. Okay. So uh, so yeah. Thanks everybody for uh, listening, and we'll get you next time. Bye bye.